Hello, this is episode 12 of this podcast. This is the case of Bradley Murdoch, the Australian man who was convicted of killing Peter Falconio and trying to abduct Joanne Lees. This episode is called The Outback Mystery. Bradley Murdoch was born on the 19th of February of 1958 in Northampton in Western Australia. He had two older brothers and parents, his mother Nancy, who worked as a hairdresser, and his father Colin, who worked as a mechanic. The family lived in Northampton, and when Bradley Murdoch, their youngest son, was 12 years old, they moved to Perth. Bradley was quite a few years younger than his brothers. They were 11 and 14 years old when Bradley was born. When Bradley Murdoch was 15 years old, he left school and moved back to his previous town to live. He would very quickly become involved in criminal activities, however. He would also go on to meet and then marry a woman called Diane in July 1984, and they went on to have a son together. It was not long after having a child together that the couple separated in 1986, reportedly due to domestic violence which Bradley had committed against his wife Diane. Bradley had his own trucking business for a few years, but he was ultimately declared bankrupt in 1983. He would later find a job as a truck driver for another trucking business. It was while Bradley Murdoch was working as a truck driver that he began to traffic drugs as well as other illegal activities. He was also known to have a gun. He was caught smuggling cannabis and served time in prison. By the late 90s and after his release from prison, he went to live in a place called Derby and continued with his drug running activities, it has been alleged. Bradley Murdoch already had a very extensive criminal record before he became involved in murder. In 1980, at the age of only 21, he received a suspended sentence after he was convicted of causing death by dangerous driving after he had hit and killed a motorcyclist. In November of 1995, Bradley Murdoch began a 21-month sentence for a drunken incident where he had shot at people who were out celebrating at a football match in the Kimberley area of Western Australia. It has been since reported that Bradley Murdoch was known to be racist by many of his peers. Bradley Murdoch was released early from his 21-month sentence after only in fact serving 15 months of it. In 2003, he was charged with seven counts of abduction and rape, but was acquitted on all of the charges. This was against a mother and her daughter, but he was exonerated. Along with his sentence for drug smuggling, he had already carried out a lot of crimes over the years. It was shortly after being acquitted on the rape and abduction charges that Bradley Murdoch would be implicated in the murder of a man called Peter Falconio. Peter Falconio was a British man. He was born on the 20th of September of 1972 and he was the third of four sons born to Joan, his mother, and Luciano Falconio, his father. He had lived in a place called Hepworth, which is in West Yorkshire in England, while he was growing up. Hepworth is not far from Huddersfield. Peter Falconio would work in the building trade when he left school, but decided to study for a degree at Brighton University a little while later, just in case 
he needed it later on in life. Peter Falconio met his long-term girlfriend, a lady called Joanne Lees, in 1996. They met at a local nightclub in Huddersfield. Joanne Lees was born on the 25th of September of 1973 in Huddersfield, England. She lived with her mother, Jenny, for the first 11 years of her life. Jenny had separated from Joanne's father. Joanne's mother remarried a man called Vincent, who had a young son at the time. The family of four moved in together. They lived in Huddersfield. Joanne had various part-time jobs after she left school before finally finding a full-time position with a local travel agency, a branch of Thomas Cook, a well-known travel company at the time. Peter Falconio moved to Brighton to study at the university there and he asked Joanne to move with him eventually so that they could still be together. Joanne Lees eventually managed to secure a transfer with the travel agency and she was able to move to a branch in Brighton. Brighton's local government authority merged with its neighbours authority which would create Brighton Hove and the Queen would go on to declare Brighton Hove a city. It had previously been known as a town. She did this during the millennium celebrations. It is a very popular city in England and it is situated in the south-east of the country with good transport links and it is only about 50 miles away from London which can be seen as an added bonus. It is a very busy city with plenty to see and do and it also has a beach and a pier along the seafront which is very popular. Peter Falconio and Joanne Lees had a real desire to go travelling and to see more of the world after they had finished for the day, they would often plan the trips that they wanted to take and the countries that they really wanted to visit. They both saved as much spare money as they could so that they could fulfil their dreams. They did eventually set off on their trip on the 15th of November of 2000. They had planned to visit Nepal, Malaysia, Thailand and Australia, among other countries. The couple visited Nepal, Thailand and Cambodia before arriving in Australia. They had arrived in Sydney in January of 2001. They stayed in Sydney and took part in the lively nightlife for a while. They stayed in some shared accommodation with other tourists. They worked whenever they could and at whatever job that they could get so that they could get some money together for a planned road trip that they wanted to take later on. They had arrived in Australia on a working visa. They had bought a combi van for their road trip, which enabled them to sleep in and also to travel across the country, seeing the sights. They had planned to travel from Sydney and wanted to visit Canberra, Melbourne, Adelaide, Darwin and Brisbane as part of their big adventure. It was on the 25th of June of 2001 when the couple set off on their road trip. They were driving and living in their combi van that they had previously purchased ready for their trip. Peter and Joanne arrived in Alice Springs in July of 2001 as planned. They were travelling via the Stuart Highway which is outback territory towards their destination of Darwin. Peter spoke to his parents before they set off and they later said that he had a he had seemed happy and was enjoying his travels. Both sets of parents had initially had concerns, particularly about the travelling in Australia because of the remoteness of the area that they were going to be travelling in. Also, there had been recent, in recent years, there had been 
some shocking murder cases which had been all over the news in the UK as well as Australia. The families were aware of the so-called backpacker murders that had taken place over several years between 1989 and 1993, which had claimed the lives of seven young people. Five of the victims were from overseas, three German and two British backpackers as well as two Australian backpackers. The murders had taken place in New South Wales, Australia and a man called Ivan Millett had been convicted also, there was an attack on a backpacker's hostel on the 23rd of June of 2000, which had left 15 backpackers dead. This attack had happened at the Childers Palace Backpackers Hostel, which was located in Childers, Queensland, Australia. Backpackers would stay there typically when they were working as fruit pickers on the local farms in the area. Robert Long had set fire to the hostel on the 23rd of June of 2000 at one o'clock in the morning when most people would be asleep. Luckily, 70 backpackers managed to escape, but 15 did not and perished in the fire. Robert Long is serving life in prison for this attack. Both these cases had involved backpackers, which obviously left the families feeling a little anxious. Murders happen in all countries, but people still need to see the world. They just need to try and limit any known risks. But as in everyday life, you just never know when someone is looking for a victim or victims. And once you do realise, it is usually too late for you to do anything about it. On the 14th of July of 2001, having made sure that they had enough provisions and that the van was roadworthy for the long drive ahead, the couple set off along the Stuart Highway. Joanne did the first part of the journey while Peter listened to music and then had a sleep. They stopped along the way for some petrol at a place called Tea Tree and they stayed to sit and watch the sunset. They then continued with the journey towards Darwin. Peter took over the driving at this point. Joanne later reported that they had noticed some small fires along the side of the road. Joanne said that Peter had wanted to stop to put them out, but Joanne said that she felt nervous about stopping due to it being such an isolated road, so they carried on along the road without stopping. Just before 8pm, Joanna later reported that they noticed headlights behind them and saw that it was a man who was driving a ute, which is a very common vehicle in Australia. The man started to flash his headlights at them and then he pulled up alongside them. The man kept pointing towards the back of the van and started shouting, which sounded something like sparks. Peter stopped the van. They were at a place called Barrow Creek on the Stuart Highway. And apart from the themselves and the stranger that had stopped them, there was no one else around at the, on this stretch of road. It was later reported that Peter Falconio got out of the van and walked towards the back of the van with the other man. Joanne stayed in the van. Peter came back to the driver's side and reached in to get his cigarettes and then asked Joanne to rev the engine so that he could check the exhaust. Joanne later claimed that it was while she was revving the engine that she heard a noise that sounded like a vehicle backfiring. Suddenly, the other man came up to the driver's side of the van and using a gun that he pointed at her, he forced her out of the van. He then proceeded to tie her hands with zip ties, 
which also had some sort of rough masking tape on them. He tried to put the zip ties on her ankles as well, but she fought so much that he gave up, and according to Joanne, threw, he threw her in the back of his vehicle. While she was in the vehicle, she said that she could hear a dragging sound coming from outside, and knowing that she was likely to be killed by this stranger, she decided to try and make a run for it. So she jumped out of the vehicle and ran into the outback away from the man, who appeared to still be dragging something outside. She said that she did not see Peter anywhere at this point and just ran for her life. She was a complete in complete darkness and she had no idea where she was going, but it was a decision that would go on to save her life in all probability. Joanne would later recall how she had hid from her attacker but could hear him shouting and she saw that he was flashing a torch over the area close to where she was hiding. She also noticed that he had a dog and was petrified that it was only a matter of time before she was discovered. However, the man did eventually give up and drove off. Joanne was too scared to come out of hiding because she thought he would come back to get her. She estimated that she stayed in the outback for well over four hours, just listening out to see if her attacker was still out there. She also did not know what had happened to her boyfriend, Peter. Joanne had the ties still on her wrists and also some tape across her mouth. She made a decision to try and flag someone down to try and get some help for herself and for Peter. Luckily, she saw a large vehicle with lots of lights coming along the road and she decided to run and try and flag it down. The driver of the large vehicle was a man whose name was Vince Miller. He also had a co-driver with him who was sleeping in the back at the time. Joanne managed to stop the driver and Vince and his co-driver cut the ties on Joanne's wrists and helped to remove the tape from her mouth. After Joanne explained what had happened and that her boyfriend was still missing, the man, the men were going to try and look for him in the outback, but after Joanne told them that the attacker had been carrying a gun, they decided to just leave and stop somewhere safer along the highway. They came across a pub and stopped there so that the police could be notified. The landlord and another member of staff there at the time contacted the police and looked after Joanne, who was clearly distraught after her long ordeal. The reason that the police were not called before arriving at the pub was due to them not being able to use their mobile phones due to service coverage in the area. Mobile networks in the outback area just did not really work. Once the police became involved, a huge manhunt got underway. Over a 100 officers were deployed to help search for Peter Falconio and helicopters were also used. Roadblocks were put in place, but obviously some time had already passed because Joanne had no choice but to hide in the outback for several hours before raising the alarm. Joanne and Peter's combi van was found. It was a short way from the scene where presumably the attacker had dumped it. Some blood was found on the side of the road where Joanne said they had been they had stopped and Peter had got out of the van. Peter Falconio's parents were informed that their son was missing and then they made arrangements to fly out to Australia. 
Meanwhile, the police questioned Joanne to try and find out as much information as they possibly could to try and solve the case and to find Peter. Joanne gave a description of the suspect. She thought he was in his mid-40s, he had a moustache and then he had been wearing a hat and was fairly tall. A man who did fit the description was spotted on CCTV near the area at the time, but the police delayed in making the footage available because it had to be sent off to be enhanced. Once the footage was available, which was well over a week after the crime had been committed, a number of possible leads were thrown up by the public. The vehicle was recognised and the profile of the man. The suspect that was brought up was a man called Bradley Murdoch, who was in his 40s at the time. Although he did fit the profile, his vehicle was a very common vehicle and many Australians drove very similar models. Bradley Murdoch was questioned, but he did appear to have an alibi for the time in question. He said that he was hundreds of miles away in the town that he lived in, which was called Broome which was in northwestern Australia. The police did note that when they questioned him, he had appeared to be in a very agitated state and despite his supposed alibi, they did have doubts about him. He was also known to have a criminal record. He was known to have a handgun as well, but because his alibi placed him over 800 miles away from where Peter Falconio and Joanne Lees had been attacked, he was not arrested. Although Bradley Murdoch was not arrested at the time, he was still considered to be a good suspect by the police. Bradley Murdoch stated that he could not have driven that distance in 24 hours, but the police managed to travel the distance that from Alice Springs to Broome, where Bradley Murdoch lived at the time, so they knew that it was doable. The overall investigation was not really going anywhere after the initial activity in the case. A new investigating officer was appointed and put in charge. She was Colleen Quinn, who was a regional superintendent. She later reported that she felt the team needed a shake-up and she chose the officers that she wanted in the team that would try to resolve the case. Peter Falconio's body had still not been found and the, the media were causing problems as well. Peter Falconia's parents and brother had taken part in press conferences, but after the initial press conference, Joanne Lees had refused to answer any questions that the media had. She said later that it was because she felt too traumatised by what had happened and also that the media, and particularly the British press, were making up stories because she had not spoken to them. They also chased her along a road when she was out. She had been helping the police, but the press had been asked to help to keep back. They were doing a reconstruction, but afterwards they decided to run after her. The British press are known to be overbearing and it would seem sometimes, in my opinion, that they will just put anything in the papers if they cannot speak directly to the person. Joanne Lees did eventually talk directly to the press but asked that questions be submitted prior to the meeting. She had decided to talk to them because too many inaccuracies had been printed in the papers. It was later claimed and she wanted to put the record straight. The press and in part some of the police officers doubted the story that Joanne Lees gave about the abduction and were questioning if she really had something to do with Peter's disappearance. Joanne Lees and Peter Falconio's family eventually left Australia to head home to England. 
They were no closer to finding out what had happened to Peter and felt disillusioned with how the investigation was going. Once the new lead investigator got on board, things did start to improve. The investigator flew to England and spoke directly to Joanne Lees and cleared up a few inconsistencies and reassured her that she was working hard on the case. She reported that she knew Joanne felt upset by how the investigation had been handled. She also stated that she believed Joanne's version of what had happened the night of the 14th of July of 2001 in Australia. She did not feel that Joanne had any involvement in the disappearance of Peter Falconio and that she had also been a victim. The ongoing case did cause a few diplomatic concerns, as it always does when foreign citizens disappear and cannot be found. And also the Australian Tourist Board had some concerns that it would put some people off from visiting Australia. A generous reward had been offered of 250000 Australian dollars for information regarding to the arrest and the conviction of the person responsible for what was now thought to be a murder investigation. Um, and it also depended on the um, retrieval of Peter Falconio's body. A DNA profile was eventually obtained and verified. The DNA had been found on the zip ties and also on Joanne Lees' T-shirt that she had been wearing on the night her and Peter had been attacked. The DNA profile matched a previous suspect and someone who had matched the CCTV footage. It was Bradley Murdoch. He was finally arrested in 2003 for the murder of Peter Falconio. The trial began on the 17th of October 2005. It was four years after the crimes had been committed. Bradley Murdoch pleaded not guilty. Luckily, the DNA evidence was good enough to convict him, along with CCTV images, and Joanne was found, was able to positively identify the man that had attacked her and Peter as being Bradley Murdoch. Some members of Bradley Murdoch's own family, including one of his brothers, said that it looked like him on the CCT footage and apparently had told him that when it was first shown so it wasn't just at the court case it was actually prior to the court case they had contacted Bradley and said that's you on the CCTV footage. Bradley Murdoch was found guilty on all charges including the abduction of Joanne Lees and the murder of Peter Falconio. The judge sentenced Murdoch to a non-parole prison sentence of 28 years. Bradley Murdoch appealed his sentence in December of 2006 in the Supreme Court. He claimed that Joanne Lees had seen a photograph of him on the internet before she had been interviewed by the police. The picture was apparently alongside an article that was, had claimed he was a suspect in the crime early on in the investigation. The appeal was dismissed on the 10th of January of 2007. Joanne Lees has managed to move on with her life, but it took some time before she was able to do so. Peter Falconio's body has never been found. His family still live in hope that his remains will be discovered one day, so that they can give him a proper burial at least.
This case is shocking and was unsolved for over four years. One of the victims of the attack was even considered to be a suspect by some people until the person was caught and found guilty in a court of law. The media acted badly, in my opinion, and caused unnecessary stress to the other victim of the attack. It is widely reported that there has never been any suggestion that Peter Falconio's family considered Joanne Lees to be responsible for the murder of their son. The trip that the young couple had set off on, Peter was only 28 at the time of his death and Joanne was only 27, should have been the trip of a lifetime. The couple had planned the trip for so long and saved up so hard, but instead someone with a track record of causing harm to other people decided to attack them. Joanne was lucky that she managed to escape and Peter never stood a chance against a man with a gun on a deserted road in the middle of the Australian outback. (laughs) 